Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. For those of you that are new to the podcast, uh, welcome. And for those of you that are coming back, and there's lots of you, uh, thanks for your support and thanks for coming back. It's great to have all of you here with me today. Today's episode is called Don't Fight the Technology Adoption Lifecycle Curve. Don't Fight the Technology Adoption Lifecycle Curve. Now, some of you might have heard this uh, uh, term, the product lifecycle. They can be mixed up. It's a little bit different because a product lifecycle can also be a term that's used a lot in uh, product development management. But we're talking about how a new technology is adopted, and this podcast and videocast is primarily oriented to the application of this curve to new concept medtech technologies. And it's important for lots of different reasons. And the reason it came up this week as a subject for my podcast has to do with several things. But one was we talked a little bit about why products fail that seemingly should succeed, but why do they fail? And we talked about this in the last podcast where I was interviewed by Pat Cothy for Mastering Medical Device. That's his podcast. It's a great podcast. Then the other reason it's come up is because in the past few weeks, it just seems like I've been approached by several startup companies that I have advised. And in the process of advising, the whole concept of the technology adoption lifecycle has come up. And I've just been somewhat surprised at how little it was recognized or understood. Even though we frequently talk about innovators and early adopters in the world, we talk about it all the time because so many of us are involved in technologies, whether it's a new kind of iPhone or uh, a new kind of smartwatch, smartphone, tablet, whatever it might be. We don't understand, we still don't understand the details of what this adoption life cycle is like and what it means to us as we try to launch a product into a marketplace. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're, it's going to be important not only for med tech leaders, but also for people in the field, salespeople. It'll help you better understand some of the challenges you're up against and maybe how you should be targeting uh, these particular people if part of your job is to sell a new concept product. And many of us are doing that today, whether it's with a startup company or if we're with a mature company that is launching something new. So bear with me. We'll have a little music and I'll see you on the other side. everybody. I'm back. Um, sorry, we always need a little interlude there, especially if I'm switching technologies because I went from my own studio recording and now I'm on Zoom because Zoom makes it easier for me to move back and forth between 
uh, video and sharing my slides because I got some slides today. So we're back with the technology adoption lifecycle curve, what it means to us. And I'm going to go ahead and start by uh, sharing some slides here. And if you want a copy of these slides, just send me an email. You'll find a link to me in the show notes. I'm also going to refer to a, a particular book today, which is famous in Silicon Valley, called Crossing the Chasm. And actually, the complete name of the book is Crossing the Chasm, Marketing and Selling Disruptive Products to Mainstream Customers. And it's by Jeffrey Moore. He is famous in the technology world, and um, a lot of people refer to his work when they talk about the technology adoption lifecycle curve and what it means. So we'll be referring a little bit to that today, but also some of this information I've gained from other research and from personal experience. So let's talk about what we're going to cover today on the agenda, and that is a quick review of the technology adoption lifecycle. Why is this important? The good news and the bad news about innovators and early adopters, how to identify innovators and early adopters, and how to sell to innovators and early adopters. So that's the subject matter today. I'm going to move on to the curve. I'll move in and out of the slide presentation just so you're not always looking at slides, but sometimes you're talking directly to me. But this first slide is an image of the um, technology adoption lifecycle curve. It's a bell curve for the for the you that are listening. And on the left-hand side of this bell curve, we have where it tapers off and the lowest part of the curve is what we call the innovators. It's also the start of the whole curve, our innovators. The next group in the curve are early adopters. The third group's early majority. The fourth group is late majority. And the final group is laggards. And in between each of these groups is a small gap or a small, yeah, I'll just say it a gap because we're changing from one market to another. And there are differences in each of these markets. However, the gap between the early adopters and the early majority is quite large. It's the largest of all these gaps. And the reason that uh, Jeffrey Moore has that huge gap here is, is that it, he calls it the chasm. And what happens when you come to a chasm and you're not prepared? You can fall into it, fall into it and die. And that's where many companies have met their fate, is in the chasm of the technology adoption lifecycle curve. They've met their fate there. They get through some innovators and early adopters, but they're not prepared to create a bridge that takes them to the early majority. And we're not going to talk about that today. We can talk about that another day. How do you create this bridge to get to the early majority? We're talking about make sure that you optimize the innovator and early adoption phase of the product life cycle because it does, even though these people are very different than the early majority, it does give you some data and some information and gives you something of a foundation with which you're going to need to cross that chasm. So let's move on and let's talk more about these early adopters and these innovators. Uh, perhaps before I do that, I'm going to say something about the early majority. The early majority, then this is where companies really make their money, make a lot of profit. Um, it's somewhere at the beginning of this curve or in the middle of it that they get acquired. 
Um, so a lot of money is made in the early majority. It's filled with people that are called also called pragmatists. Many of the people in this early majority section of the curve are pragmatists. They look at making a product purchasing decision much differently than innovators and early adopters, and therefore the chasm between the two. So I just want to make that point. They're very different. And the term pragmatist is a one-word great explanation of why they're so different, especially when we start to talk about the innovators and early adopters here in just a second. So why is this important? This is the next slide. It's to avoid some common strategic sales mistakes. And I'll just go ahead and stop sharing here for just a moment. Um, so you will be talking directly to each other. First of all, one is that you, a lot of companies will hire sales reps for a new technology or a startup company based on their book of accounts. You know, all the people that they already can open a door to. That's very important to a company. And there's good reasons for this. But the question is, do the sales reps know who of their accounts are truly innovators and early adopters? They may think they know. And they may think just because they can open a door and somebody will talk to them that they're an early adopter. That isn't necessarily the case. So a sales rep's team can spend a lot of money and a lot of time on campaigns that are way too broad, approaching way too many people that aren't talk that aren't targeted correctly for this part of the product lifecycle curve. And you cannot fight this curve. It is science. The pragmatists will not buy. So these are the pragmatists, which I just spoke about in the early majority component of the curve. They are people that may know the sales rep, may welcome them into their office, whether it's in the hospital or if, if it's in a doctor's practice, and may be happy to see them. But just because they're there does not mean they're going to get a sale. I have seen this personally myself. The rep thinks they have an audience, but they really don't because the, the company does not have the information the pragmatist needs to take this risk and to make this buying decision. So that time in the office wasted. The expense to get there, whether it's an overnight trip, uh, whether it's flying someplace, driving someplace, wasted. The time wasted. This also leads to unrealistic sales quotas, which leads to poor morales if people can't meet their quotas. That's also important because you need to assure that the sales support materials, whether it's brochures, videos, perhaps a webinar, email content, whatever it might be, are communicating the correct messages for innovators and early adopters. Then you also suffer the risk that the misconception that low sales equates to the fact the product is failing. And that might not be true at all. The product might be a good product. It's just the marketing and the sales process are failing. So that's why this is so important. Because if you don't treat this correctly, you can lead yourself many of the wrong ways and you can waste a lot of resources and a lot of money. Uh, and for a startup company, this is difficult because you're trying to conserve resources until you get your round, you know, the next round of financing. Okay, so let's go back to 
um, the slides here and I'll show, share my screen again. So what's the good news about working with innovators and early adopters? One is that they are very independent. They think for themselves and therefore you don't need a lot of proof sources at this particular stage of the game. And they will take risks. They're on the lookout for new technologies. For the innovator, that means one thing. And for the early adopter, that means another. And we'll get to that in another slide or two here. Innovators will tolerate some problems problems with the technology. And even though a lot of companies think when they launch, launch a product that they've got it all figured out, let me tell you, the innovators will find a way to prove you wrong. And they sort of enjoy that. But it's a great way to test out a new technology and to get some feedback. So you need them, you need to be patient with them and appreciate the involvement that they may have in your company. Early adopters can be influenced by an innovator. And so that's where this chain of events is important at this particular stage is because they know each other. Early adopters are willing to serve as highly visible references. And the reason I have that in quotes is that came right from Jeffrey Moore's book. And you'll need those references as you get prepared to cross the chasm, but especially as you're, maybe you're trying to find other early adopters. So they can be very helpful. And early adopters typically have access to money and they're not that price sensitive. They see certain kinds of value in being first. And we'll talk about that again here in a second. And that's why they might be willing to pay more. I remember in ophthalmology when the first femtosecond lasers came out and they were nearly a half million dollars. The early adopters bought them, even though in another two years, they would be $300,000 doesn't matter. They wanted to be first. The bad news, innovators and early adopters are very different from each other. So don't be confused between the two, two or fooled. They have different objectives. For example, an innovator just simply has the thrill of experiencing a new technology and playing around with it and seeing what it does. They may not be looking to make big speaking engagements or necessarily to publish anything but they just like being involved in something, in something new and learning about it. And in terms of the fact that they think for themselves, they can see the value and they want to have that value. They want to have the value of a better clinical outcome that your technology might bring. The early adopter, while being interested in new technology, also seeks an advantage over the competition. And when I say that, that can mean many things. It can be financially. They want to be ahead financially by getting more patients, having more surgical volume or practice volume. They want to be ahead as an influencer, as a leader in the community or the region. They might be a key opinion leader. We'll get to that in a second. Also, early adopters are typically in a hurry to be in the lead, and they're on the lookout for these things. Now, early adopters and innovators may not significantly influence the early majority group in the technology adoption lifecycle curve. You need to have an early adopter that is also a key opinion leader to do that, and you might be able to find them. So you want to be on the lookout for somebody that has both traits because you can be an early adopter and not be a key opinion leader, and you can be a key opinion leader 
and not be an early adopter. So some of you, especially those of you in the field of sales reps, you'll know there's doctors in your territory that love to be the first with certain technologies, but they aren't necessarily eager to be speaking on the podium or writing articles or anything like that. But they want to be first and they want their customers and the local area to know that they're first. Well, they're an early adopter. Early adopters can be very demanding and may not tolerate product problems. So you have to have your product pretty much ready to go for early adopters. Now, innovators may not have a lot of funds, funds, so you may have to do some product loans or free product, depending on what kind of product it is. We'll talk about that in, a, in another slide or two to get them involved. But you'll want something for that. We'll talk that. We'll talk about that again here in a minute. And when selling to innovators and early adopters, right now you don't have references. Not that you need them. Again, they're independent. That's the good news. But that's something that you don't have. And if you go into a place or to a doctor that you think is an early adopter and suddenly they want all these references and all this information, maybe they're not an early adopter. That could be your first sign. They'll want something. For sure, the clinical studies that you did to validate your product and get it cleared with the FDA or get it approved. But um, they're not going to need a lot. They think for themselves. They'll be able to do the math in their head on good clinical outcomes, and they'll know the risks that they're going to take. The sales cycles might be a little bit long early on because the education that's required. And something I don't have on this slide is, you know, we all know that the hardest sales, especially you in the field, we all know that the hardest sales with a new technology are the first sales. And that's why it's so important to get this part of the adoption process correct and get the innovators on board and get the early adopters on board and start creating your foundation. If you're with a company that thinks you're going to get every everybody on board, you might be with the wrong company. Let's go to the next slide. So how do you identify these people? And I'll come back and I'll stop sharing just so we can be talking face-to-face -face again here. And one is, you know, look for people that frequently do early, early reviews of new technologies in your market segments. They might be writing a column for one of the magazines um, or... They might be, there might be clinical research that you see in a peer-reviewed uh, journal. Those are the kind of people that could be an innovator. And an innovator might also be somebody that has a dual role. They are maintaining a clinical practice, and they also have participation or they're participating in the research uh, department at their university or their particular clinic. So they've, something, they've got something of a dual role. They might have a reputation for having a bunch of failed products around, and it could be a joke in the practice or in the clinic or in the hospital that, yeah, Dr. So-and-so, he's always getting the newest stuff and half of it doesn't work. Um, so that there could be a reputation there. If it's an early adopter, they have all the new stuff, but most of the time it is working. They may have a few failures, but most of the time they don't. They're involved in social media related to technologies because, they're, again, they're out looking for it. So they're more apt to be maybe in the LinkedIn, LinkedIn groups, Facebook, and so on. The early adopter is always first to market, and that's something you always 
notice, and they'll have a reputation for this, that they'll be the first person not only to adopt something, but also to get the news out that they have because they want their patients to know and they want their colleagues to know that they're first. And they have a competitive personality. Not so much the innovator, but the early adopter definitely has a competitive personality. And like I said, you know, beware just being classified as an early adopter and somebody can truly be an early adopter, but that doesn't mean they're going to buy your product. You still have to go and appeal to them correctly. Um, and the product has to have value. So let's talk about how to sell to innovators. And I'll share my um, slides again for those of you that are watching, just so you can see this. So first of all, to an innovator, you can say, here's our clinical data. We think our technology has these benefits. What do you think? And then would you like to help revalidate this technology for the local area, for this particular geography? And the reason that's important is because we all know that frequently our clinical investigators are a little bit like astronauts. They can make any technology work. Let me tell you something. The innovators and early adopters, they know that too. And they're a little bit wary of clinical investigators. So to have somebody validate the product in your local area that now you can use as a reference could be really helpful. And that could really appeal to an innovator um, in your particular marketplace. So you're going to ask them if they might be interested in validating. And, and if they are, then you might have to do something like loan capital equipment to them or give disposable products to them. Or if it's a combination product, capital equipment and disposables, loan and give both for the purpose of this validation and come up with an agreement. These agreements should be ready in advance. Your marketing department and your leadership, your legal department should have these small validation study agreements in place, ready to go for these innovators. You might even use this with an early adopter, but um, you want these in place, ready to go so you can execute them quickly, get them going. And then eventually when the, this little study is done, of course, part of the deal is you're getting the data back from the study. So you can share it with people could turn into a white paper, could turn into a video, who knows, but you're going to share this data. So you, part of the quid pro quo is you get data back. And of course he can publish it if he wants, if he does publish at all or she, um, but then you're going to do the walk away and you'll say, I'm sorry, but our time's up. And if the product really has done as well as it possibly can, this individual should be ready to promote the purchase of this product by their clinic. And that is when you may get your sale with the innovator um, when you do your walk away, which is I need to take the product back. Who knows? You might want to do them a favor. It's the product's been used for, for three or four months. You might want to give them a discount, whatever it is. It's a lot cheaper to always leave a product than to take it back, especially if somebody's going to use it and is going to be happy with it, get good results, and other people will hear about it. So that's how you sell to innovators. And then if we talk to early adopters, again, here's the clinical data. And then you want to, I, I the bu next bullet is, does this address some pain points? Well, you're not going to say that to a a doctor, she's not going to respond very positively to that. But you could say, can you imagine where this product might work with some of your more difficult cases or some of your more challenging cases? You don't necessarily need to tell them that you're going to try to take all their cases. Then they may resist that 
part of their nature of resisting change. But if you say, I've got a solution for uh, a difficult case and you help their imagination go that direction, you'll get some traction. And then talk about how the technology translates into clinical results and financial gains. And of course, the whole concept being, you know, the support of being the first in the market. And there we're segueing into appealing to somebody's ego. We came to you first. And you might even appeal to their ego by offering to allow them to be a center of excellence. If you're going to be a center of excellence, though, you're going to have, again, a quid pro quo. You're going to have some expectations. You might have to pay a small consulting fee for them to be a center of excellence. But you're going to want something in return, like data for how the product integrates into their practice. And um, that could be financial results. It could be integration, how the, how the techs adopt it, how the surgical operating room adopts it, clinical outcomes, and so on and so forth. And then you might ask for their assistance in webinars to other people in the area um, and perhaps teaching, proctoring um, other um, physicians and or nurses or whatever it might be um, on the use of the technology. You need to surround these early adopters with support and they expect it. They expect a lot of attention. You need to make sure they succeed. So you need to have the resources at hand, whether it's the salespeople in the field, um, being given permission to provide that level of service and or application specialists that are in the practice or in the hospital helping to make this work. And this last bullet, which was the consulting contract, I already talked about that. You know, it's often used with early majorities and, you know, this should be in the budget. If you're going to have a contract, have the contracts ready. Let the sales reps know what kind of person to look for. Maybe have it one of their objectives that they have to attain is that they need to get X number of early adopters throughout their territory. Maybe one in every major city to create a foundation to help build the bridge to the early majority. That's how you sell to early adopters. And I think that's my last slide. It is, again, to everybody, to those of you in the field, think about what you're trying to do in the new technology and how you're going to approach different people, how you're going to identify innovators, how you're going to identify the early adopters. And if you think you know they're early adopters, how you're going to really qualify them to be true early adopters. If you're if you're med tech leaders, you want to make sure that you don't fall into the trap of going too broad with a marketing campaign and failing and spending a lot of doc dollars on something that fails. Even though maybe down deep inside, if you looked at the data, it didn't fail because some people started to adopt the product, but your investors may have feel that you failed because you told them that you're going to launch this major campaign, you're going to achieve certain results. Make sure that expectations are realistic, realistic, that they follow the curve so that when you go forward, investors are happy, you're happy, you're making progress, and you have the resources necessary for the next um, phase of the market, which is the early majority. And also, by being realistic, hitting correct realistic objectives, it sets you up to make the next raise of funds more realistic. So that's my advice. That's the podcast today. Don't fight the curve because if you do, you'll lose and it'll be terrible. So learn how to win with the technology adoption lifecycle curve and be successful. 
So if you like this podcast, send me a, an email, rate it, rank it, recommend it to a friend, and more importantly, go win your week. <laughs>